We're, we're almost awake. All right, this is good. This is good. That's my favorite when we're about to get into the sermon and people are half asleep already. All right? No, that's okay. So today, we're continuing our study of the Shema. And so I want to take a moment and I want to read to you the scripture that we're going to be speaking from today, that we're going to be learning from today. It's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. So chapter 6, 4 through 9. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, if you want to turn to that in your device, you can do that or in your Bible as well. But just listen to these words because it's very, very awesome and beautiful. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on your door frames of your houses and your gates. So before we get into it today, I just want to say this. There is going to be a lot of scripture today, which is the way I like it, okay? But I just want to warn you because you're going to probably be turning or reading all of the scripture, except for two verses are going to be on the screen today. The other ones you will know because they're very famous. And so just follow along. Don't get caught up in uh, necessarily remembering. If you need help with that, I'm happy to help you. But I just want you to listen and hear the words that we're talking about today. So we began this study of the Shema last week. It's a very famous and important prayer in Scripture. And the goal of studying prayer, if you've been here with us for any amount of time, you know that we've been studying prayer since April. And the heart behind that is... Um, to give the people of Foundation Church a robust form and a robust fire around the idea of prayer. So here's what I mean by form and fire. Form, that's the habit of prayer. That is um, the rhythms of your prayer. Whether you pray before meals, anybody meal prayers in here? Have been since I was a little kid, okay? Before meals or whether... Um, you, you, you gather in your community group and you pray with your community group or when you wake up or when you go to sleep. These habits, these rhythms, these things that you just do regularly, that's sort of the form idea of prayer. And we want to build that. We want to build a healthy rhythm, a healthy habit of prayer. But if it's just a habit, if it's just a routine, right, and it lacks the fire, then that's also an issue. And so we want to have God help us believe in the power of prayer. Believe in the power of prayer. Just knowing something doesn't move you the way that belief does, correct? And so if you want to believe, or if you can believe in the power of prayer, you will live a different life. You will live a different life. And so that is the goal of doing this prayer series. And studying the Shema is no different. This far into my faith journey, I find new forms of prayer very interesting. I find that these biblical prayers, uh, whether they initiated as prayers or they became prayers, I find them very interesting. But the question that I'm constantly asking myself is this, are you praying like you believe God will answer your prayer? I'm constantly asking myself that because sometimes I hope you can relate, or maybe you can. I don't hope you can relate. I know you can. That you pray a prayer and you think to yourself, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. Right? And that's no way to live. Right? Why would you pray if you didn't believe that? 
I want to ask myself all the time, are you praying like you believe God will answer your prayer? And regardless of the outcome, I should expect the best. And that's where the fire comes behind the prayer. That's where fire inspires you to keep praying, to keep believing, to keep asking regardless of the outcome. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We should pray. We should pray with great form. We should pray with great fire because we can be confident that our prayers are heard. They are not wasted. So let us pray with fire. Let us be people who pray with great fire. So our Study of the Shema is really a continuation of that goal of developing both a healthy form, a healthy habit of prayer, and a healthy fire of prayer. The Shema is an amazing prayer that, that shapes the way we pray. It fuels the passion with which we pray with. Because it shows us that we are to love God with everything we are. And so let us revisit just briefly what we covered last week. That way we're all working from the same foundation of understanding. Just in case you weren't here or weren't able to catch it online, just a few things about the Shema that are important to know as we talk more about it. First of all, the word Shema translated into English means to listen. So we talked about that last week. We talked about what it means to listen, but the word in our language, listen, doesn't quite capture the fullness of what the term Shema means, right? It's the first word in the passage that we read, it actually comes out as hear. So hear or listen. But what it really means is that you not only hear or listen, but that you apply what you hear and then be obedient to what you hear. And that's specific to God's design for your life. So when it says Shema, it means take what you're about to hear, apply it, root it into your life. Put it in a space where you can't avoid it because it is God's good design for your life. And for that reason, it became an essential prayer to the, um, to the Israelites. They actually prayed it twice a day daily. And it served as a reminder to the person praying, what matters most to God is that you love him. And while it is a great reminder, there is a particular significance to this prayer that gives it a fire in my opinion, for modern Christians. So in the Shema, its roots, as we just read, are in the Old Testament, but Jesus actually reiterates this prayer. In uh, Mark chapter 12, he reiterates this prayer, and he talks about how it's the most important commandment. It's underneath the most important commandment. And so this is the passage that we talked about last week. I want to read it to you again. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31 says this, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So it's a little bit different, which we'll talk about here in just a second. But Jesus is basically saying, this is 
the commandment. This is the greatest one. So last week we talked about how that interaction would have looked to the audience that was there. And I'm not going to go back through it. If you missed it, you can catch it on Facebook. Um, but it was a particularly uh, attention-grabbing interaction. Right? It would have grabbed their attention. And so Jesus was really smart how he responded. But here's the thing that I want us to hold on to from last week as we move forward with our study of the Shema. This is kind of the big idea from last week. The greatest, the greatest commandment according to Jesus is to love God with your entire being. But there is no way for you to get that right all the time. Right? That was the takeaway from last week, is the effort is to be to love God with your entire being, and there's no possible way that you're going to nail it. Right? So you got to hold on to that. When we talk about loving God with our whole heart, which is what we're going to talk about today, I want us to know that we should aspire to do so, but we can't beat ourselves up when we don't do it. We can't beat ourselves up when we don't accomplish everything we set out to do. In fact, thankfully, your salvation is not contingent on how well you love God with your entire being. And I read this passage last week in Ephesians 2. There's many editors that do this as well, but they actually tell us that faith alone in Jesus is what saves us. So I just want to remind us of this. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So again, your salvation is not contingent on how much you love God. It is contingent on how much God loves you. Right? That's good news. So why then, if we have that established, why did Jesus reiterate the command to love God with your entire being? Striving to, love, striving to love God with everything you are and everything you have is about, rather, not your salvation. Instead, it's about entering into God's good design for your life. Did you catch that? It's about entering into God's good design for your life. It also means that anything, and I mean anything that opposes God's good design for your life, will only lead to death and destruction. Jesus gives us this great warning, this great promise in John 10.10. You've heard me read it every week for three months now. So I actually picked a different version to read it from for your benefit today. <laughs> from the ESV, it says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it among them. What doesn't change there is Jesus' warning about Satan the enemy coming to steal and kill and destroy you. So let me just say this as clearly as I can. God's desire is that you thrive. Satan's desire is that he destroys you. And there's no third option. There's no third option. When Jesus says, love God with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself, he is not this stingy dictator who is asking you to, be, to choose between him and fun or him and success or him and whatever else you think you want and need. Jesus is trying to show you the only path that leads to actual true fun, that leads to actual true purpose, that leads to actual true success. So therefore, when you think about this prayer and its implications for your life, I'd encourage you to consider this. Love the Lord your God 
with all of your heart. And when you fail, God's grace is sufficient. Yes. Amen. Love the Lord your God with all of your soul. And when you fail, God's grace is sufficient. Love the Lord your God with all of your strength. And when you fail, God's grace is sufficient. So with that in mind today, we're going to consider what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Because remember, we're going to break this prayer down kind of idea by idea and talk about why it was so important in the Old Testament to the practicing Jews, to the Israelites, and why Jesus reiterates it as this beautiful command that leads people towards a thriving life, that abundant life that Jesus talks about. So ancient Israelites operated as though the heart was the generator of your life blood, literally and figuratively. They knew that the heart was an essential part of the physical body. Thus, it is used in many writings to express the importance of a person's physical nature. So when you consider this aspect, when it says to love God with all of your heart, you are designed to love God with your physical body. Does it seem like a foreign concept? I think at times we forget that there's a real physical element to the way we love God. There's a few verses I want to read to you. I told you there's going to be a lot, so just listen to these. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Pretty clear. Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So if our bodies then were part of the plan for us to love God, how does that play itself out? How do we live that out? Well, the Bible calls this way of loving God good works. Right? You've probably heard this term. Good works. And in Genesis, God gives the first kind of command to physically use our bodies to cultivate the earth in a way that we can love God. Genesis 2.15 says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God actually designed them to work. He actually made that part of their purpose. Because this was before the fall. This was before Genesis 3. God actually gave them physical expression of obedience and love. But this was not limited to people living an agrarian lifestyle, right? You're like, well, I don't even have a garden, Rick. Okay, that's okay. Because we see in the New Testament that we are called to love or we are called to every good work. In fast, 1 Timothy 6, 19, or 6, 18 through 19 says this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Simply put, we are created to work. We are created to work. I know some of you are really bummed by that right now. <laughs> but we are. We're created to work. But this isn't necessarily limited to holding a job for pay, although that's an important part of our society. But it includes all aspects of work. It includes all aspects of our labor. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says this, Whatever you do, 
Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So whatever you're working at, parenting, career, household chores, leading a community group, that shameless plug was for Jess. <laughs> Gardening, whatever it may be, whatever it is, you name it. If it demands that you physically apply yourself, then you do it with everything you've got. Because it's part of how you love God with your entire being. It's part of it. It's not the whole thing. There's a reason why you're energized when you sit down after a long, physically demanding day where you've accomplished a lot and you just feel like, man, I am so physically tired, but I feel full. Yes. I'm sure each one of us has experienced that at least once, <laughs> but probably more times. And it's because loving God with our whole being is part of who we are. It's part of how we've been designed to be. Now this means that loving God with your whole, whole heart means that we need to take care of our bodies, right? If your body doesn't work, then you can't work. Right. Yes, yes, I said it. <laughs> and it can be tough to hear, but we are called to manage our bodies, our God-given bodies appropriately. Now, I already cited the verse in 1 Corinthians about your body being, body being a temple for God and for His glory. But we're also called to care for our bodies as an act of discipline. 1 Corinthians 9.27 says, But if I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Right? I read that and I was like, I know, I am not the model of physical amazingness. Okay, but the point remains that we are called to be physically disciplined. It doesn't mean you have to look a certain way. It doesn't mean you have to do a certain program or eat a certain diet. It just means that doing some of those things is actually part of God's design for you loving him with your whole being. Exercise, a healthy diet, good sleep patterns. These are things that we're called to. And guess what? We're called to them for our benefit. Again, God's not up there demanding them so that he can be like, did you exercise today, right? He's like, it's good for you. I, I'm giving you this body. I'm giving you this design. Like, take good care of it. Now, admittedly, this is, this is not God's highest concern, right? There are a number of scriptures that remind us that this physical state, our body, is temporary. And it's actually even um, in this world designed to fail. I mean, our bodies go, they build, 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 and then all of a sudden they're like, we're done building, and then they go, we're going to destroy, okay? <laughs> I would imagine most of us are on the destroy, and at least we feel like it. <laughs> but this doesn't mean that we're excused, right, from the call to discipline our bodies as an act of obedience to God. And it's for our benefit, and it's for the benefit of those who are counting on us, right? For our children, and the people in our church, and the people in our work. We're counting on us to not ail ourselves to be a burden to them. Yes. Loving God with your heart is a call to honor God with your physical nature through good works and self-discipline. We have the opportunity to step into that, and that's how the Israelites would have seen it. 
They would have seen when God said to love, when scriptures say, love God, when they prayed it, love God with your whole heart, with all your heart, they would have thought, this is part of it. Loving God with our physical body. But what loving God with our heart is not limited to our physical body, as I'm sure you can fathom. We actually love, called to love God with our thoughts. Now you're thinking, oh. I thought you said the heart, right? Now, ancient, ancient Israel, they really had no concept at all of the brain and the mind as we understand it today. So they believed that the heart was also the place where a person produced their thoughts, which means loving God with all your heart, with all your heart, in their context, meant loving God with the functions of your mind. Isn't that interesting? Loving God with all of your heart meant to love God with the functions of your mind. Proverbs 2 verse 10 says, For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. My heart contains no wisdom, I promise you. It's all, it's all feelings, it seems like. And yet here we are. Wisdom will enter your heart because it's an application of the mind as we know it today. Proverbs 14.33 says, Wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding, but it makes itself known even in the midst of fools. So you've likely read this language in scripture about a person making a decision about something that God has put on their heart. Well, that comes from scriptures early on in the Old Testament, like 1 Kings 10.24 says, The whole world sought an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. Not his mind, but in his heart. So these, these decisions, these decisions of the heart, were these well-thought-out decisions that reflected the type of reasoning that we now understand come from the, the mind, the brain that God gave us. So in this context, in this scriptural context, loving God with your whole heart, as captured in the Shema, meant that you would love God, that your love for God would impact your reason. It would impact the way that you would think about and decide on courses of action, okay? Now, can we just agree for a moment that loving God with every thought that you have is a minute-by-minute -minute exercise in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, right. Yeah. right? Sometimes we suck at loving God with our thoughts. The amount of times per day that I have to rein in my thoughts to ones that love God is often embarrassing. But it also serves as a wonderful reminder of how much I need Jesus. Which is why these types of commands, what they are so good at doing is helping us remember that we are dependent on something beside ourselves to do this work. The exercise of going to God with your thoughts and loving God with your thoughts in your heart takes an intentional daily practice it takes like it's like building a muscle it's not something you're going to master overnight it's not something that you're going to get strong at overnight but if you work it like a muscle if you practice it each and every day and you reflect on the ones that you did well at reflect on the ones that you did poorly at eventually you'll get better eventually you'll get stronger second corinthians 10 5 says this we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. It doesn't say that you take every thought that is obedient to Christ, right? Because we know better. 
We take captive these thoughts. We actually have to work at it because our brains will not do this on their own. We will not get good at it without working at it. And so once again, we encounter this idea of self-discipline as a mechanism for moving closer to God's good design for our lives. But the good news is, is you're not alone in this exercise. You're not alone. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is doing the heavy lifting. And you've experienced this. He's doing the heavy lifting. You think a thought, right? You're sitting in that moment. You're in the car. Someone cuts you off and you think that thought, okay? We're there. We're all there together, okay? And you instantly know that it's wrong. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, right? And we could go on and on. There's more examples than I can count at the ways that the Holy Spirit convicts me that my thoughts are not in line with my effort to love God with my whole being. But as a Christ follower, you have this incredible relationship with the Spirit of God. And that relationship helps you navigate those difficult parts of your life. And it does so with love and grace and mercy. And so we love God with all our heart through our physical being. And part of that is also our thoughts. Our heart is our thoughts. But it doesn't just stop there. It's not just our physical being is not just our thoughts. Loving God with all of our heart also meant to them that we would love God with our emotions, right? Different than thoughts, these emotions, these things that we feel. The Bible tells us that loving God with all of our heart produces the spirit of joy. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, when your words came, I ate them that they were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. Have you ever encountered a person who is this Jesus follower who just fills up every space that they occupy with joy? I think Mike's one of those people for me. Mike is. It's not an accident. It's the fruit of pursuing God with his being. It's the fruit of that person pursuing God, learning how to master their emotions in a way that helps them experience joy despite what's going on. Now, are they perfect? No, I promise you, Mike is not perfect. He would tell you that. But that person will choose to love God with their emotions. And it's not just the fun emotions, right? It's not just the ones that we think of that are good. It's actually uh, loving God with our hard emotions as well. Sadness, pain, anger. Yes, you can choose to love God in the midst of these difficult emotions as well. In fact, the Bible describes, describes this exercise of doing just that as lament. It's a prayerful expression of the emotions that we experience in hard moments. And we all have them. In fact, I, I love reading Psalm 13 when I'm feeling down because it reminds me that this practice of lament was actually given to us as a gift. Psalm 13 says this, it says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. 
and my enemy will say I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation, and I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. David's prayer of lament models for us how we can bring our pain, how we can bring our sorrow, how we can bring our sadness and our anger to God in an appropriate way. There's sort of this four-phase pattern that we see in this prayer. The first one is this, that David actually turns towards God. He doesn't turn away. We see that in verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? He's not saying, I forget God. I'm angry and I want to walk away. He's saying, God, I'm confronting this situation. I'm sad. I'm angry. You're forgetting me. He's turning towards God. And then after that, he presents his complaint. In verse 2, we see it. God, God, he says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? God can handle what you bring. Yes. He wants you to bring those things for him, to him. And then the next phase, after he presents his request or complaint, he asks for help. And what I love about this is it says uh, in verse 5, I'm sorry, verses 3 and 4 says, Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Listen, if you could solve the problem, you wouldn't be in that place in the first place. Right? You wouldn't be in the headspace where you need to come to God. And so present your complaint and then ask for help. You have to ask for help. That can be humiliating. It can be one of those things where you feel like, I don't want to ask for help, but that is a good thing in and of itself. God wants you to know that he wants to help you. And just like a good parent would do, if their kid just asked for help, they would go to the ends of the earth, right? And so then finally, we see that he wraps up that particular prayer by choosing to trust God. Verses 5 through 6 says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Has God answered his prayer in that moment? I don't know, but I'm guessing not. It seems like that was one succinct prayer, right? So it doesn't mean that God was instantly like, Yeah, here's the problem, here's the, or here's the solution, everything's taken care of. He said, Despite what comes of this, I'm going to choose to trust God. So lament is actually a gift. It's that healthy expression of very real emotions that we have as part of the human experience. We're not meant to mute these emotions in our interactions with God, but we are called to express these emotions in a manner that is in alignment, that aligns with our love for God. So loving God with all your heart means that we love him with our body, with our thoughts, and with our emotions. Emotions, good, bad, or indifferent. But that's not it. There's one more thing. The final thing that is driven by our heart, as the Israelites saw it, as captured in the Shema, is that we love God with our desires. Loving God with our whole heart means that we also love God with what we desire. The heart, as far as they were concerned, was the epicenter of our desires. And since we are called to love God with our whole heart, 
We are called to love God with our desires. Now, our desires, what do they do? They influence our choices. So the exercise of loving God with our desires is lived out physically in this world by our choices. And making the godly choice is not always the easy one. But it is part of loving God with our whole heart. Again, will you make every right choice? Of course not. But remember, love the Lord your God with your whole heart. And when you fail, God's grace is sufficient. Does it mean that your bad choices won't have consequences? That's not what it means. But it means that when you're trying and you get it wrong, God's grace is sufficient. In 2 Samuel, we see this interaction um, where loving God with the desires plays out. In 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 3, this is what it says. It says, Now when the king lived in the house of the Lord, house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. You see this interaction. David loved God so much. He's the king. He loved God so much and wanted to honor him by building the temple, which would have been a fitting home for the ark of God. And Nathan even tells him, you see it there in verse 3. He says, those things that are in your heart, those desires, they're honoring to God. So go ahead and do them. But shortly after that, if you continue with the story, with the narrative, you find out that God actually had different plans. He actually tells Solomon, he says, he says to David, your son is going to build my temple. That's the plan that I have. And so this could have easily done a couple of things. It could have crushed David, right? He's like, God, you're so good to me. I just want to do this thing to honor you. And God's like, it's not for you. That could crush you, right? Like, I finally tried to do it right, God. No, right? That can be crushing. Or even worse, David could have moved forward with his plans despite God's explanation of that being not the plan. But instead, he chose to love God with his desires. And he made the right choice to be obedient. Scripture reminds us that our plans matter to God, but his plans matter more. Proverbs 16, 9. This is a good one. It's a hard one, but it's a good one. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The heart of man plans his way. Anybody in here make plans? I make lots of plans. But the Lord establishes his steps. Now, this does not mean that you will always have an easy time with this part of your life, right? Life is full of decisions that are really hard. And I would imagine that there are people in this room, if not every single person in this room, has at least one decision that they need to make that they are not clear on. You've prayed about it, you've asked for direction, and it's just not clear what you're supposed to do. Now I want you to take solace in this scripture because you can make your plans and you should make plans. A wise person will make plans. Plans are good. But God establishes your steps. While plans are good, steps are ultimately what moves you forward. 
That's why I love the language of it, right? I can have all the plans in the world, but it's actually the steps that move me towards those things, which is why God says, please go ahead and make your plans, but I want you to follow the steps I placed for you. He has your best interest in mind. So when you love God with your whole heart, with your whole being physically, right? With your thoughts, with your emotions, and with your choices, with your desires. He's calling you to do that for your own good. Because again, please do not forget that this is not about how much God loves you, whether you're good or bad. Your salvation is not contingent on it. It's simply Him inviting you into the best version of your life. When you follow and are obedient to his call, to his design, you move, you move closer, you move step by step into his good design for your life. You move step by step into the rhythms and the patterns and the places that he's actually called for you to be. Make your plans, but God establishes your steps. So we're gonna sing in just a moment, but I want us to close by praying for those things, about praying that we love God to the best of our ability with our whole heart. For some of us, the call to love God with our physical bodies is gonna be an immense difficulty, but maybe he's calling you to take a step in that direction. Maybe. Your thoughts, maybe your thoughts just have so much control over you, right? They just, they just wreck you, that you, you know you're not supposed to have those thoughts, but they keep, they keep nagging at you. Thoughts of shame or regret or pain, right? Or, right, your choices. Maybe, maybe you need to honor God with a certain choice. And it's a really hard choice, but you need to make that choice. Or your emotions. Whatever it may be, the best part of this narrative is that we're not on our own. As a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is working in your life, helping you. It's called an advocate for a reason. It's your best interest in mind. So will you stand with me while we pray? I want to invite you into this time of prayer because... <coughs> Like I said, there's probably at least one choice in your life that you're uncertain on, at least one aspect of loving God with your whole being that you're just having a hard time. And that's okay because, again, salvation is not contingent on God's calling you into his good design for your life. So let's pray. God, we thank you for a beautiful reminder through a prayer like this, through the Shema, one established thousands of years ago as part of your word, as part of Moses' delivery, his last reminders to his people. And that has been carried through generation after generation. It has arrived here at our doorstep, calling us, as you have said, to be obedient to the command to love God with our whole heart. And so God, as we strive for that, maybe we not get tired and frustrated and think of it as an opportunity to prove ourselves. We don't need to do that, but rather as an opportunity to step into God's good design, to your design for our life, God. 
as we work to love you with our bodies and with our thoughts and with our emotions and with our desires and the choices that are the fruit of those desires, God. God, I just pray for everybody in here that's wrestling with one of those things right now. Give them peace. Give them courage. Give them strength. Give them the hope that they need to step forward to not just have a plan, but to actually match the steps that you've laid out. And as they wrestle with them, God, help them to feel encouraged and surrounded by people who love them. That when they have a hard time, that they would go to those people that they trust, that they would be prayed for. God, as we believe in the power of prayer, God, as we lift things up to you, you hear them. You act on them according to your will, and that will is for our benefit. So I pray that we would continue to pray, that we would continue to develop the habit, that we would continue to develop the fire behind these prayers, God. May we be a people who pray more and more each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.